Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of the Dayson Digest. I'm Libby Dodds-Ashley, the Operations Director for Dayson, and today I'm joined by Travis Jones, our liaison pharmacist and computer tech guru and all things great in stewardship. Hey, Travis. Hey, Libby, and hi, Kevin. Thanks for joining. Hello. Today we have a guest speaker, uh, Kevin Gary. He is joining us um, from the University of Houston College of Pharmacy, where he's a professor and chair of the Department of Pharmacy Practice and Translational Research. Kevin has a lot of experience studying C. diff, and that is one of the reasons we have him here today. Uh, because of his work in this area, he's actually one of the main authors on the IDSA C. difficile treatment guidelines. And as we highlighted in our first episode, we are hoping to cover several sessions from ID Week 2020 during this podcast series. And one of the most exciting announcements that happened at ID Week was a little sneak peek at a new update that's coming to the IDSA guidelines for treatment of C. difficile. Um, Kevin, we are so excited to have you here today. And we really want to thank you for taking time to talk to our network of hospitals. Uh, thank you, Libby. Always great to chat with you. And uh, hello, Travis. Nice to meet you, I think, for the first time. Yeah, it's great to meet you virtually. <laughs> Kevin, one of the first things is, is that IDSA has announced that this is going to be a rapid update. What exactly does that mean, and is it different than previous updates from the guidelines? Uh, yes, it is. And so, as you know, IDSA guidelines are, are an important part of, of the IDSA society, and essentially many of the membership think it's the most important. And um, so the IDSA guidelines, I'm going over to what's called a grade format. Uh, sort of a pre-specified way to do guidelines, starting with a PICO question, a very directed question, and then sort of a regimented way to get through to guidelines so, so they can be consistent and reproducible. And so once you have a grade uh, guideline done, it allows you to add on very specific questions, just one or two or maybe three additional PICO questions. So it's not supposed to replace the entire guidelines, but is only used when uh, something, something major has happened. And so this is back in 2018 when uh, the IDSA president, Cindy Sears, uh, asked the C. diff guideline committee to provide a rapid update on the treatment of C. diff uh, based on a, a few recent uh, high-level publications that had just come out. Okay, so what is specifically addressed in the guideline? What are the big changes that the guideline committee has been pondering? Well, well the big one that, that got it started was, was bezlotoximab, the, the monoclonal antibody, humanized monoclonal antibodies directed against toxin B of C. diff. Uh, and it was specifically used to prevent recurrence of C. diff. And this was uh, the first ever therapy that was directed not just that, not just for the treatment of C. diff, but in this case for the recurrence. So that's that's really what started a high-level publication on the phase three trials. And when we started down that road, it was also a major literature review of what else was published in the bezotoximab space, and then number two, what else was published in the treatment space. And, and that that medical literature search identified a couple of other high-level fadaxomycin papers. And so that turned into another, uh, two other questions actually of whether or not how we should, if we should rethink of, of fadaxomycin as, as therapy for clinical cure 
uh, for first occurrence as well as first recurrence of C. diff. And so the two major areas in what we are calling now the focus update is uh, how should we position bezlotoximab and so sort of a second look at how we position fidaxomycin. So let's start first with bezlotuximab. What is being recommended in this update? Okay, so bezlo was was the uh, the the third. We have kind of tackled the the um, fidaxo first, and the first two picos in the bezlo was in the it was in the third. And the when you do these this grade format, you get a group of experts together, and you sort of say, what are the most important outcomes that you're looking for? And so the, the PICO stands for patient, obviously, and, and I is intervention in this case, in this case, bezeltoximab. Now, since there's nothing else to prevent recurrence, it's, it's, it's looked at against placebo. And the outcomes we we're looking at, well, the most important one was C. diff recurrence after an initial clinical cure. Uh, we thought hospital readmissions would be important. And then obviously, like any drug-related adverse events uh, directed uh, due to bezotoximab. And then obviously the all-cause mortality would also be important too. So, so when you summarize the literature, obviously C. diff recurrence after initial clinical cure was the strength of bezotoximab. It was a very effective agent to prevent further recurrence. And it also prevented uh, future C. diff-associated hospital readmissions. Now, now they, the authors of the papers did a good job of of sort of defining what high risk means. Um, if you're immunocompromised, if you're over 65 years, if you've had prior C. diff episodes of CDI. So, so this is provisional recommendations only. It uh, still has to be go through final approval of the board, uh, go through the peer review process and change. But um, the, the provisional recommendation that was presented at ID Week was that for patients with a CDI episode, and at least one of those risk factors for recurrence, then bezeltoximab should be considered as a co-intervention along with standard of care antibiotics. And Kevin, can you share what those risk factors are for recurrence? Yeah, and so these were pre-specified in the phase three trials, which, which is, strengthens them as, as good, good, good variables that delineate where bezeltoximab will be effective. So it's age over 65, immunocompromised, uh, severe C. diff, prior episodes of C. diff in the last six months. In, in their papers, they did look at sort of hypervirulent strains, the, the ribotype 027, for example, but it was felt that many hospitals don't know, don't do strain typing in their hospitals, so that we excluded that. So with the exception of that, that comes, uh, those other variables come straight from the, from the phase three trials. Thanks for sharing. So it's my understanding that this new monoclonal antibody will be used as a, as a co-intervention along with standard of care, but that kind of brings us to our next point, which is whether or not there is any updated literature to suggest that the standard of care for patients with either initial C. difficile infections or recurrent C. diff infections has changed. Ah, that's great. And so that would be the other two PICOs from this focused update. And so in this case, you remember a PICO is a patient population, and this will probably be in these two PICOs. PICO one is first occurrence, and PICO two is first recurrence in terms of your population. Uh, the intervention in this case is fidaxomycin, and your comparator, the C, it's only ever been compared against vancomycin. 
So it's always been vancomycin compared to fidaxomycin. And so that's going to be the comparator. And then the outcome is going to be similar, sustained clinical cure, initial clinical cure, similar, similar outcomes that I said in, within the bezeltoximab studies, and as well as serious AEs and mortality altogether. So if you remember, the, the two phase three trials did show that uh, fidaxomycin was superior to vancomycin for sustained clinical response. So since those two phase threes, there's been a, a, a new study called the EXTEND trial, uh, looking at sort of an extended use, extended duration of fidaxomycin compared to oral vancomycin. And it also demonstrated uh, a better sustained cure rates, uh, lower recurrence rates in other words. And then a Japanese study as well, a Japanese phase three trial. So now we, now we had four uh, studies, all well executed, uh, all comparing fidaxomycin to vancomycin. And consistently, uh, if, you, if you wanted a, a higher sustained response, fidaxomycin was superior to vancomycin across, all, across the board. Uh, initial clinical cure was the same. Serious adverse events were, were similar. Mortality was slightly better with fidaxomycin, but, but negligible. But, so, but the main outcomes you're looking for, that's the same clinical response. Was, was always better and consistently better with fidaxomycin. So, so with that then, because you, with, with PICO questions, you need to have that comparator. You have to follow the grade format, which is what is the data telling you. Uh, the, P, the, the first uh, recommendation of whether it should be used for, for first occurrence is for patients with an initial CDI episode, uh, you, you suggest using fidaxomycin rather than a standard course of vancomycin. Uh, and so that's provisional. Once again, it has to go through final peer review as well as board guidelines. But that was the provisional recommendation made at ID Week. So then just for first recurrence, just to finish on this off, and then we'll open up for, for discussion. <laughs> so with recurrency, diff, same thing. Now, in this case, it's either standard or that extended pulse regimen that I described, that, that extend study, uh, rather than a standard course of therapy. And this is, once again, a provisional recommendation. So for first occurrence, first recurrence, fidaxomycin preferred over vancomycin. Okay, now, now let's open up. Back to you, Travis. I was going to say that even though it's just a, a provisional recommendation, I know that there was a, a lot of talk on Twitter um, about this potentially big change in, in, in treatment recommendations for the initial episode of C. diff from vancomycin and fidaxomycin kind of receiving equal weight to fidaxomycin being preferred. So it definitely had a lot of traction on Twitter, and I saw a lot of folks talking about it. So everyone was pretty surprised. And I think they were trying to understand, given the fact that in, in hospitals, of course, resources are limited, if you can only provide fidaxomycin to a certain number of your patients, who would be the patients with an initial C. diff episode that would be the most likely to benefit from an initial course of fidaxomycin therapy? So there's no golden answer to that question, first and foremost. Um, so if you're looking to see who is at highest risk of recurrence, we could go right back to those same variables that we use for bezlotoximab, age over 65, previous episodes, et cetera, et cetera. So that would be one place to start. Now, the difficulty with that recommendation is, is that use of vancomycin itself is a risk factor for future recurrence. So if you use vancomycin, you're actually doubling that person's risk of recurrence because of the 
destruction of the microbiome that vancomycin causes. And it's lower if you do use uh, fidaxomycin. So the first place you'd start is right back to those risk factors of when you should or shouldn't do not use bezlotoximab if you absolutely have to limit it. But what you would be doing is essentially putting other persons at risk for future C. diff if you did that. So it's going to be uh, something each hospital has to grapple with when they make those decisions. Yeah, Kevin, I think, you know, the implementation is going to be key for all of our member hospitals. And I know one thing to sort of let you in on our little um, dirty secret, so to speak, is we do know that we see a lot of providers who are worried about patients and start um, maybe very early treatment of C. diff or, you know, almost on the level of prophylaxis with oral vancomycin before they have test results back. And I don't know if you were the guideline committee. I know you didn't specifically address prophylaxis in this most recent rapid update, but if you wanted to comment on really the role of fidaxomycin for true disease, um, are there any additional thoughts or plans to do a rapid review for oral prophylaxis given some recent meta-analysis publication and, and a recent randomized trial? Any insights there? Oh yeah, so that's, let's, let's go for 10 hours in this podcast. <laughs> that is, <laughs> That is a spectacular area. Now let's, let's just take this one step at a time. So it, with, with C. diff infection, there is a, a minority of patients need empiric therapy. And that is fulminant C. diff in which a colectomy is imminent. There in those cases, that is when you immediately start empiric antibiotics without any knowledge of underlying toxin tests. That's, that's, that's when you need to do that. That is, in my experience, probably one to 2% of all patients you'll ever see with C. diff. It's, it's, it's the worst case of C. diff, but it's, but it's by far the minority. The vast, vast, vast majority of patients who are coming in from the community with C. diff will actually battle the disease for several days, if not weeks or more, before finally coming in to get treated. So beyond that small, small, small sliver of the population, there's no medical evidence that means empiric therapy is needed. And especially in today's world where you're generally getting rapid C. diff tests back same day. So I think you can use that to build platforms to say who should get empiric therapy without a positive toxin test, that fulminant patient moving on to colectomy. Everybody else can wait for the positive toxin test and do your work to get your diagnostic back within the same day or within 24 hours. So that hopefully provides some guidance in terms of who should get empiric or not. And once you get that done, you're left with, if you're a PCR toxin testing hospital, 800 beds, 200 patients a year who have a positive toxin test, as long as you're not in an epidemic. And that's not a tremendous amount of money uh, that's way less than you're spending on your CT of the abdomen, for example, for patients with suspected C. diff. If you just wanted to give everybody those 200 cases for Daxo, certainly money, but in the world of an 800-bed hospital, it's pocket change. So that's a little bit of a high horse for me, but <laughs> the empiric <laughs> therapy stuff, the empiric therapy stuff is fine. That's that's true. Okay, so now prophylaxis, which is a much bigger topic. Uh, 
So C, C. diff, you know, is a microbiome disease. We give people uh, high-risk antibiotics. It, it destroys the colonization resistance of our healthy microbiome and allows C. diff to, to germinate. And that's why we get the disease. So if you, if you rank all of the antibiotics out there that cause dysbiosis and like what's the world's number one worst antibiotic at causing that dysbiosis that can give you C. diff, uh, oral vancomycin is probably number one or number two on that list. It, it is just remarkably awesome at killing our microbiome. It's the nuclear bomb of a microbiome killer. Because you get thousands and thousands of micrograms of vancomycin in your gut. So when is the last time you thought of using something for prophylaxis that actually kills, that actually causes the disease? Like it, it completely turns it on the head. So suddenly you say, well, wait a second, but we use C. diff all the time. It's remarkably effective at getting rid of diarrhea and like calming down the clinical cure. Absolutely, because including C. diff, it kills that great too. Like it's just a, an awesome antibiotic to kill whatever you want to kill. C. diff, which is great, but then everything else that lives in your gut, which that everything else is really bad. So the, the, the best paper on this was a Stu Johnson paper in Annals of Maternal Medicine from a long time ago, like the 90s, 30 patients small. But they were all colonized. So all these 30 patients are all colonized with C. diff. And 10 days of Vanco versus 10 days of Metro versus 10 days of nothing at all. So end of 10 days, this, this C. diff is gone with Vanco, which as you would expect it should be. But if you follow patients forward in time for another month, it's all back again. And so it, it, that recommendation has been forever. Don't ever, ever, ever treat patients who are colonized because it doesn't do any good. So, so why in the world would somebody who's shown you they don't have C. diff yet, like they don't, they're not even colonized, would you ever want to make their microbiome susceptible to colonization and then infection with C. diff? It, so prophylaxis is a great idea, but prophylaxis with Vanco is probably not the greatest idea ever. So then, well, what should I use? Well, Maybe you should use fidaxomycin because it's less sparing of the microbiome. But those dollar signs are going up in your head already. And oh, by the way, fidaxomycin isn't impervious to microbiome damage. It still hurts the microbiome too. So they don't have C. diff, no C. diff at all. Do I give another antibiotic? Uh, that's a bad idea. Well, let's move on. Well, now what about bezlotoximab? Well, it doesn't kill the, the microbiome. It is the perfect uh, prophylactic agent, but who wants to infuse a monoclonal antibody as a prophylaxis? Holy crap, that sounds tough too. So then you, well, what else do we have? Well, we then have to someday figure out how to get that microbiome back in shape. And so it's eventually gonna be some sort of biotherapeutic that does it. But in today's world, we don't know what that is. Uh, Saccharomyces has been tried and not very good results, lactobacillus not very good results. It gets you into another 10-hour lecture on what's your best probiotic out there, with, with the bottom line being none of them are really good yet. No one's been proven to be great. So, so that's, the, that's, the long, that's the short of it <laughs> in a very, very, very challenging question.
Oh, thank you for your thoughts on that. I know it's something that we struggle with and, and several of our facilities have been looking at this uh, recently. So thank you for your insights. I, I know, Kevin, when I have a question about C. diff, you're the one I call. And so I'm sure you're getting calls from all over the country because I know many ID pharmacy colleagues feel the same. So going back to the treatment with first line treatment with podaxomycin, do you see or hear or are people asking you, is this going to turn into another new restricted drug? In other words, is it going to require a positive PCR test? Are you hearing it anyone or are you considering that um, in any of the hospitals with which you work? I think that's the best use of it is a positive and true diagnostic test. So I think we've often talked about the PCR uh, C. diff diagnostic often picks up on patients who are colonized. It's just, it's too sensitive. It picks up on colonized patients. That will lead to over-treatment. And so as much as you can to limit that. So if you're still using the PCR diagnostic to have some pre-screen, the uh, patient has to have true diarrhea, more than three in a day. They can't have diarrhea due to overuse of laxatives, for example. If you can do that, the PCR diagnostic is, is, is fine. It's great, quick. Most microbiology labs are set up for PCR, all of them now are probably, for PCR diagnostic tests. But if you can't do that and you're, you are getting over overuse of C. diff diagnostics because of any report of even mild diarrhea gets tested, that's why many hospitals are going to do these two steps. You have to have an active toxin test that, that gets it. So if you have an active toxin test, you're pretty close to everybody does have C. diff. There's, I'm sure, still some false positives, but very few. And most hospitals outside of an epidemic, that means there's not going to be millions of cases of C. diff floating around. And it's not like you need to have empiric therapy, as we've already, already discussed. So I think that's a wonderful idea. Uh, stewardship that you have to have a positive diagnostic test to get this more expensive but guideline preferred antibiotic, in this case, fidaxomycin, and then some sort of flavor to set up a bezotoximab use as well. Um, I think that's, that is the perfect way to go, as opposed to trying to figure out the specific patient population that would most benefit. It's really hard to do that because of the harm that vancomycin causes for everybody. So I love what you just said, Libby. I think that's the way to go, really focusing on the diagnosis, Make a good diagnosis, and only after you make that good diagnosis, those, those, that's the crowd that gets fidaxomycin. Right, well, this is certainly a lot for our sites to think about. I have one final question. And do you have any inside info on when our sites might start to think about seeing these guidelines coming into press? Oh, yeah, I, cer I certainly can provide some insight. Uh, great comments back already from a blinded CID review. Uh, these guidelines are going to be co-endorsed by Shea. Uh, I think it's Shea IDSA is the official guidelines. They've been that way forever. Uh, co-endorsed by ASHP and SIDP with comments as well that have been incorporated into the final. So uh, it's going to be first quarter if, if, I, would, if I was betting a beer. <laughs> and, uh, and if you bet me two beers, I'll say first or second quarter, and I think I'll win that one. <laughs> so keep your, eyes on, keep your eyes on CID. That's where it'll come out. Well, that's great to hear. We're excited to, to, to see these new guidelines when they're finally published. And that really brings us to, to a close for our second episode of the DASON Digest. 
I first wanted to thank everyone for listening and also wanted to share thanks from our entire team to Kevin uh, for joining us and sharing his insights on uh, updates that are soon to come in the treatment and prevention of C. difficile infection. For our Dayson sites listening in, we also wanted to share that our latest Dayson newsletter published in November is now available on our website and it reviews an article that evaluated the efficacy of oral vancomycin prophylaxis at the prevention of C. difficile infection. So be sure to check it out on the newsletter sections of our website. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening, and, and we appreciate Kevin for presenting during this podcast. Thank you.